0: Thanks for tuning in to Horizon Community Church's podcast. Our hope and prayer is that wherever you are, you would be encouraged by this message and be equipped to face any challenges that come your way. More information about Horizon can be found at www.horizonweb.org. How many have had coaches in your life? Raise your hand. Coaches, have you had coaches? Have you ever hired a coach? To be, I mean, whether like in sports or maybe personally in business, I mean, I've had coaches from little league to high school to college, and I've hired coaches to work with me on different things that I needed. You know, you just need a coach to kind of look at it differently than you do. And I've been around a lot of coaches when I was with, when I did football ministry. I've been a lot around a lot of coaches, some good, some great, uh, some not so good, some bad, and I think a great definition of a coach, what makes a coach, is that he knows when, he knows his players, and he knows when to push and when to pull back, and I mean, he knows his players. I mean, some of you may, have you ever had coaches that they're just pushing all the time? They're in your face. I mean, they don't ever let up. I mean, I had a coach in high school that threw chairs at me in the water, I mean, that put me up against if I didn't score, I mean... won't go, that's another story unto itself. But I've had coaches that have come alongside me and brought out the best in me. One of those was my swim coach in college, Coach Gary Wyckoff. I can't tell you where, where it was at. I know it was in the Bay Area. Bay Area. We had a meet. And uh, if any of you have ever done swimming, you know how meets are won or lost it's by points, and points are gathered by first, second, and third place. And I was expected to take first. I swam long distance. I swam the 500,000 in 1,650, which is 66 laps. That's when everyone goes for lunch. You know, Tim will still be swimming when we get back. Um, But it was the 500, and I was expected to win. My times were better than who I was up against, and I lost. And some of you know me. I'm not very competitive. Okay, I am very competitive. And I'm in the warm-down pool, and I... Guys, I I got. I was. I was crying. I hate losing. I hate disappointing. I knew Coach was disappointed. As I'm swimming and taking that breath, I can see Coach making a beeline for me, and I knew what was coming. And I I deserved it. I mean, I'm just swimming, and I finally hear Stevenson, and I come up to the wall, and I look up, and he's about ready to tie into me, and stops. I mean, he couldn't see I was crying because my face was all wet, anyways. But he could see in my eyes the disappointment, and he let off, and he just said, all right, Tim, you get him in the next race. I've never forgotten that. I mean, that was such an impactful moment to me, and every time I've seen coach since, I always remind him of that. That was the greatest coaching experience I've ever had in my life. My respect level went way up, because he knew when to push, because he did push, but he knew when to pull back. Paul writing to Timothy, I mean, he's called Timothy his son, but he's coaching him now. He's coaching him in this new step. He's coaching him, and he's had to push, and he's had to know when to pull back. He knows when to lay in and try to draw draw out something in them that that he may not know exists inside himself. I was listening to some great coaching speeches, and I was inspired just watching it, thinking, man, if I was in that locker room, how pumped up I would be to go. And Paul is doing that with his son. He knows his time is short, and so he wants him to understand there's a time to push and there's time to pull back. And today is a little bit of both. Now, we've been talking about hold it high, guard it well, pass it on. And that has been the theme through it. We'll see that again today. We've talked about gifts are not automatic. If you don't fan it, it's not going to flame. You've got to be on top of the gifts that God has given you. We said you can't live a life committed to Jesus Christ without paying a price. And even as did shared last week, that price is, he says in 2 Timothy 3.12, if you desire to live, live a Christ-like life, you're going to be persecuted, guys. It's going to come. That's what you signed up. It's going to happen. And depending on where you live and the time that you live, it'll be on what degree it will be. Courage is not possible apart from a strong, biblical conviction, which we'll return to that again in this talk. God's desire is not to make you comfortable, it's to help you grow. Jeff brought the word when he said, your mission is unstoppable. Stephen brought the word, which was cool coming down mammoth at 8,500 feet and watching Horizon Community Church as he was preaching. He said, does your lifestyle consistently reflect the character of God, or are you just a visitor of God's presence? I mean, I remember, going, wow, that's powerful. That'll preach. And then Dinesh last week did a great job, mission possible. So we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're coming to the conclusion. I know this is part 10, but hey, I'm no hurry to get through this because this is some good stuff. So verses 1 through 5 read this way. They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardships, do the work of an evangelist, and discharge all the duties of your ministry. I think this beard is messing with the mic, sorry. Verse one: In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing for His kingdom, I give you this charge. The Amplified version says, "I solemnly charge." This is the idea. Solemnly charge is the idea of giving a forceful order or directive. This is pushing. This is in your face. This is the charge I've given you. This is the orders that you have, Timothy. A charge is an an important thing, a commissioning, if you will. He's reminding them of that. I graduated in in, uh, December of 81, and as we were driving down Highway 99 in the van, my mom and dad in the front, me in the bench seat in the back, and all my worldly possessions behind me. And I don't know where it was on 99 that I decided to tell my dad that I wasn't planning on doing architecture. Now, understand something. I wanted to be an architect since I was a little kid. Ever since I read on a bazooka, bazooka bubblegum gum, remember, some, I'm dating myself, but at the bo- bottom of it was a fortune. And a fortune says, you'll be an architect someday. And never, i am never, that's all I ever wanted to be. And here I am going to tell my dad that dad, I, I, I want to be a pastor. I want to be a campus pastor and be involved in the ministry that I've been involved with for the last three years. And there was silence in the van. And the first words out of my dad's mouth was, son, you've wanted to be an architect since you were a little kid. Now, he wasn't mad that, okay, I paid for this education because I paid for my education. I took out student loans. It's not that they didn't help along the way, but he knew that's all I ever wanted to be. And he was only a believer for a couple of years. So, this whole concept of pastor and everything else, it was just so foreign. And my mom didn't say a word. I mean, she was quiet in there. And I fall with that. I just feel like that's what God has called me. Now, in that June, I was in Denver, Colorado, being commissioned. And I remember being on stage. I couldn't tell you what day it was. I couldn't even tell you who the speaker was. And I remember the other campus pastors there being commissioned. And and what was read to us by the speaker was Isaiah 6, 8. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And that was read, and that was my cue to say, Here am I, send me. Again, a time I have not forgotten. And I guarantee you, Timothy, as he's, you have been solemnly charged, solemnly commissioned. And he, and he leans in on this and he gives weight behind it because he says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. This was not done in a vacuum, Timothy. It was done in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who, let me remind you, will judge the living and the dead. And in a view of his appearing at his kingdom, I give you this charge. I mean, it's one of those coaching moments where, man, I believe in you. We believe in you. The school believes in you. I mean, they are bringing all the big guns. But now, guys, God and Jesus Christ, who's going to judge you. Now, you've heard me say, since I've been here, guys, I'm not going to be judged for my sin. That was taken care of on the cross. But I will be judged for what I've done with my life since then. What have I done with my gifts? What have I done with my talents? What have I done with my commission? And I don't mean my commission just to be a pastor. And this is not, I, I, don't say, "Wow, well, whoo, I'm off the hook. I'm not a pastor like Timothy was here. Guys, we have all, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been commissioned don't, don't forget, don't, don't push outside that this doesn't apply to you because in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, Ephesians 2, 8, and, 8 through 10 says this, For it is my grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. In my life verse, for we are God's what? Workmanship, masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus, So, when you came into Christ Jesus, he created you, what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There is a job. He has commissioned each one of you. Whether you take that commission, whether you believe you've been solemnly charged in that, is a whole other thing. But you've been commissioned by God, by Christ. You've been given gifts and talents that someday we're going to stand before him and have to give an account. And that's what the Paul, because he's in the jail cell. He knows his time is soon. Timothy, don't forget who you are. Don't forget who called you. Don't forget what has brought you this far. Don't forget who has given you these gifts to fan in the flame. And he says in verse 2, so you are to preach the word. Now, it doesn't say you are to preach. I mean, he was the pastor. That was his job. to to speak, you were to preach the word, which at that time, there was no New Testament for Timothy to grab onto. This is the Hebrew scriptures. This is the Old Testament and whatever Paul has been teaching him. Guys, there's such a move within... I'll say the woke church today, or the progressive church today, that we need to unhitch ourselves from the Hebrew Scriptures. I mean, it's old, it's Jewish, it's not us, we're Christians, we're a new believer, we need to do this. Guys, you need to have both. And Dinesh did great last week, he said, guys, if you're always in the New Testament, you need to read the Old. If you're only in the Old Testament, you need to read the New. The two line up with each other, you need both. Let's not forget when Jesus is on the road to Emmaus, he's walking with the disciples. All, he, all they knew was Jesus was dead. They didn't hear about a resurrection yet. And here's Jesus disguised some way. They don't know who it is. And so he, it says there, he opened up the scriptures to them, being the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, and showed them everywhere where he was at. And it says their hearts burned inside of them. Guys, don't unhitch the Old Testament from the new. They're both. And the preaching has to be from both. Because spiritual power and effectiveness in preaching does not come from just skill of a speaker. Now, I, I, tr- I promise you, I've worked hard at my presence to be up here. I mean, I'm out in my poker room at 5 in the morning on Sunday mornings going over this to make sure, does this fit? Crossing things out and moving things around. But I'm going to tell you, I could be the most skilled speaker in the world, but if it's not backed by the power of God, they're just words. They're just syllables and vowels put together. What makes preaching powerful is what is being preached, not necessarily who is preaching it. I've seen some of the, what I would call, worst communicators that I've ever heard speak, and I'm sitting there shaking my head And they give it an invitation and people come forward for Jesus. And I just shake my head and say, it's not the dude, it's the word. It's the power of the word and the spirit behind it. He says, don't forget that, guys. I mean, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you. I just proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration in the Spirit's power so that your faith may not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. Timothy preach the entirety of the word because that's where the power, he goes on to say preach the word be prepared in season and out of season. That means you're ready at every time. Peter calls this he says always be prepared to give an answer. Ephesians 5 Paul says be careful then how you live not as unwise but wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Preach in season and out of season when it's convenient when it's not. When it's early when it's late. When the crowds are large or few, whether they're loving on you or criticizing you, you be ready to deliver the goods in season and out of season because you never know when you're going to be called on to say something. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Verse 2 goes on to say, correct, rebuke, and encourage. Now, we've seen those words before last week. Then I spoke on the the end of chapter 3, 2 Timothy 3, 16. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness. I put that as this way, and I've got it written in my Bible just to remember, teaching, what we need to believe. Rebuking, when we are wrong. Correction, getting us back on track. And instruction, how we should live. There needs to be conviction. There needs to be warning. There needs to be an appeal. There's an old saying, uh, it's called preacher rule. He should afflict the comfortable and and comfort the afflicted. That's my job. Because it's amazing that in, in one service, I can bring... Somebody, man, you were speaking right to me. What, do you have been talking to my wife? I mean, you were right in my wheelhouse. You are speaking right at me. And, man, I, I felt like I needed a slap across the face. And the other person, I felt so encouraged from your word. It was just, So here's a person being encouraged, and here's a person being slapped. All at the same time. Job done. That's why I look at it. I did my job. And preaching has to be a balance of those things. Because when I correct and reproof, I'm trying to bring attention, calling things. It's more of a mind thing. I'm trying to bring attention that your actions are not where God should have you to be. Rebuking is more of a heart thing. Guys, this this calls for repentance. I mean, I have no problems. i am seeing this. This is a danger that you're going. This is what you need to do. You need to, to, to be in this place. And sometimes that's what a coach is because, you know, when you figure Tiger Woods or one of the greatest swinger uh, baseball players in the world has a batting coach, they can't hit like him. They don't have scores like him, but that's an outside looking in on you. They can see things that you don't see. And sometimes we need to do that. We need to bring correction. We need to be reproved. We, we need to bring reproof. That I, I remember with one couple, they were talking about how they argued and everything else. And the husband, the wife kept saying in this situation, "The way I don't say that, I don't say that." And then he played a phone message that he kept, and she hurt herself. And all of a sudden, she realized, "Okay, that's bringing rebuke. That's bringing, but it's bringing correction." All right, how are we going to get in the right place here? And Timothy says, "You got to do that with great patience." Then, verse two says with great patience and careful instruction. That's back to how we should live. That some people take a little bit more time. I mean, I always say that, you know, some people need a two by four, or I need a four by four upside the head to get my attention. Because sometimes we just can't see and it takes someone from the outside to see it for us. Timothy, do this with great patience and careful instruction. Why? because the time's coming verse three now it's not a time of chronological order that he's saying in verse three for the time will come he's talking about end times here apocryphal times for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine instead to suit their own desires they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. I'm not going to say where. I mean, I, I'm not going to say where. Not in the end times. I think the time is closer than it's ever been for Jesus' return. But boy, does this verse seem seem to speak today. As many voices that are out there. Doctor Marvin Vincent. One of the first books I ever bought as a Christian for study purposes was his uh, Word Studies. He says this, they invite teachers in mass in periods of unsettled faith, skepticism, and mere curious speculation in matters of religion. Teachers of all kinds swarm like flies in Egypt. The demand creates the supply. The hearers invite and shape their own preachers. If the people desire a calf to worship, a ministerial calf maker is readily found. Because I I don't want someone, again, when we think, you know, when I go to church, I want to be encouraged. Great. That's fantastic. There's a time for encouragement, and then there's some time just to be slapped around. Who likes to be slapped around? No one likes that. So I'm going to find a church, I'm going to find a pastor who's not going to say difficult things. And they go, and they move, and now you just get on the Internet, and you can find as many, I love that line, flies like an Egypt." As many flies to get someone that fits you and what you want to hear. That's why if if a marriage is in trouble, the wheels are wobbling, and I'm talking to the couple, one of my first questions is, all right, who are you guys listening to? What are your friends telling you? What advice are you getting that? Because don't we don't we usually run to someone that's gonna be on our side? I mean, we don't want somebody in our face. We want to be, you know, encouraged the way we're direction we're going. We don't want someone to be like this to us. And so you flocked that, and that's the thing is, at this time they're just gonna flock to the ones who tickle their ears. And the thing about tickling ears, I mean. It's like a scratch. You know, there's something satisfying about a scratch, you know. I mean, sometimes, because I'm a big guy, I'm up against rocks and walls and just doing a bear thing. Um, but I'm telling you, I, I can kind of maybe sometimes just put it out of my mind, not something that's tickling my ears. It demands my attention right now. I have put odd things in my ears to get to an itch. If it's, I mean, because it needs attention now. And that's the thing. I'm going to find who I want to find. Warren Wisby Wisby says this. They want religious entertainment from Christian performers who will ticker their ears. We love the novelty in the churches today, emotional movies, pageants, foot-tapping music, colored lights, smoke. I added that one. The man who simply opens the Bible is rejected while the shallow religious entertainer, becomes a celebrity. The itching ears soon become deaf ears as people turn away from the truth and believe man-made fables. Because that's what Timothy says. They will turn their ears, in verse 4, away from the truth and turn aside to myths. It's a small step to, to find people that give you pleasure, that that, that, speak, that that speaks to my heart all the time. And I'm not saying it's not wrong to have a preacher, whoever you guys are listening to, to, to speak to your heart, but if it's just all feel good and happy, 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 and not where it's going to bring conviction, not where you're reading the Word and go, man, I I'm so far from that. I need to get... If that's what you're looking for, it's a small step to start going into f- myths and fables and untruths, it doesn't take that much of a turn. John MacArthur puts it this way, when God's truth is knowingly rejected, Satan's falsehood is inevitably through often unknowingly embraced. As deliberate rejection of God's truth makes a person vulnerable to Satan's lies. 10 Corinthians four says the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's why we said early on, courage is not possible apart from strong biblical convictions. How important it is to hold on to what is truth. When you reject the Bible's teachings, remove that from your mind and from your beliefs, You're willingly allowing Satan access to fill that empty void with his truths and not God's. I wrote down a few things. When you start to hear yourself say, I mean, who am I to say when life begins or whether someone should have the right to end a pregnancy? You open the door for devil to fill the void. Who am I to say, what defines marriage? That it's between a man and a woman. Isn't it just about love? If a person wants to marry the same sex, what difference does that make? You open the door for the devil to fill the void. Who am I to say that there are only two genders? If you want to be a boy or a girl, your choice. You want to start cutting things off, your choice. What's the big deal? You open the door for the devil to fill the void. Who am I to say what is right, what is wrong? I mean, truth's truth, for your truth is different than mine, my truth is different than yours. You open the door for the devil to fill the void. Who am I to say that there's only one way to God? I mean, all religions basically teach the same, don't they? You open the door for the devil to fill the void. Who am I to say you shouldn't have sex before marriage? I mean, and these—I mean, this was written by a bunch of old guys in a different time, and how they viewed sex was differently. You open your mind, your the door to the devil to fill the void. Who am I to say that the Bible is the word of God? I mean, it's been written by a bunch of guys thousands of years separated, ages ago, times ago. You open the door for the devil to fill the void. How important it is that you hold on to the biblical truths that are there. Because once you start saying, Ah, that's not that big a deal. Ah, that's, why, what, Why do we really have to hold on to that? I mean, times, once you start saying that, guys, you open the door for the devil's lies to say, well, this is it, because it's everywhere. Every commercial you watch, every, t- every show, every movie, it's there constantly in front of you. In your kids, in the schools, it's constant. And you have to hold on strongly to those beliefs. That's why Paul tells Timothy, verse 5, but you, Timothy, keep your head in all situations. Some of your translations may be sober, which means don't be influenced by other things. You keep your head, Timothy. Endure the hardship because I'm promise you guys the more you hold to biblical truths if you don't see this in the news if you don't see the attack either you're not watching which is probably better but if you're watching you're not noticing the attacks on christian values christian homes christian morals anything standing that's where the attack comes and paul's done to endure hardships and i'm telling you believer in christ if you hold to this, you're going to have to endure hardships they're coming they're coming on the schools. They're coming after your family. Co- you start broadcasting things. You start saying things. If you don't think anyone's watching and anyone's taking notes of your Twitter, of your uh, of your little messages that you're sending of this, you 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 cuckoo, all right? Because that's what's happening. As you even see, the news as pe- as people's phones are being taken to see what's been on them. Well, I know what's been said. That's why they're taking the phone in the first place. And you make that known, you're going to have to endure hardships. And that's why Paul tells Timothy, don't freak out. Don't panic. Endure the hardships coming. Hold on to those things. Do the work of the evangelist. Those who live contrary to sound doctrine, guys, they're going to resent and resist the teaching of sound doctrine. I've been doing this too long because once you begin to say, guys, this is what the Scripture says. This is what the Scripture says. People will say, well, I want to know the truth. No, they want to know about the truth, but they don't want to know the truth because the truth means you have to apply it for it to be real. That's why Titus says, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it hold firmly, Paul tells Titus. But you keep your head in all situations, Paul tells Timothy. Do the work of an evangelist. And he's not calling Timothy necessarily an evangelist, but do the work of an evangelist. Not only he, you're sharing the truth, but the work of evangelists is developing relationships with people. It's hanging with people. It's giving opportunity where you're rubbing shoulders where those who are far away from God. I mean, I remember when, when Horizon even asked me, to, Tim, do you, uh, you want to throw your hat in the ring of this? And I was honest right up front. All right, guys, I got a humidor full of cigars. I got MGDs in my refrigerator. And I love h- l- hanging out with lost people. And if you're cool with that, we can talk. I love hanging out with lost people. Do the work of evangelists. I mean, you're out there, you're rubbing shoulders. Speak the truth, feed the hungry, take care of the orphan, do what's necessary. Be involved in the community. Be involved in the outreach. Do the work and discharge all the duties of your ministry. Timothy, fulfill that which God has called you to do. Believer in Jesus. Fulfill that which God has called you to do. Because every one of you have been commissioned. Every one of you are his workmanship. Every one of you have been given gifts to fan into flame. Discharge it, which means do that which God has called you to do. Fulfill what God has called you to do. You have been called, you have been commissioned. And you will be held accountable. Let's not forget that. There's verses in your notes to look at. Should that create fear? Yeah. It should. There's, there's, there's gonna, at the end, everything will be shown for what it is. And the fire will test that. And those that are built with straw and just things that burn will be burned away. But that which is built with gold and silver and precious stones, that's the reward. Know that. Live faithfully. I'm not doing things so I get more gold because to get gold in the projects that I'm building, man, you know how much straw I can buy for that much gold? I'm not doing it for it. I'm doing that because... Christ saved me. He's done all this for me. He's given me gifts and talents that he wants me to use. And there's nothing like using the gifts that God has given. It's like a tool that when you're using the tool, the tool's happy. You're happy because it's doing exactly what it was designed to do. You've been called and commissioned and will be held accountable. So hold the truth high. Guard the truth from the Pass it on, Father in heaven. I thank you for another day. I thank you for giving us breath today, which means you are not done with us yet. I thank you for your word that it it does instruct, but it and it corrects and it rebukes, reproofs. It it does all those things. Why, for us to be what you created us to be. Father, if we need encouragement this morning, may your spirit encourage. If we need slapping around, may you just whap away. But the purpose is for us to grow. Not to make us comfortable, but to make us holy. Father, when we realize we have been called commissioned, and someday we'll be held accountable, help us to hold that high. Help us to guard it well, and help us to pass it on, I pray. In Jesus' name.